0: Our call, to work, our call to worship this morning comes from 1 Chronicles in chapter 29, where the Word of God says this, Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, Lord, the God of Israel, our Father forever and ever, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty, for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. And in your hand, it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. And let us do that very thing now. Amen. With the help of the Spirit, let us worship our triune God as we join in singing hymn number 86.
1: Now thank we all our God. Number 86, if you're able, please stand to sing. Please turn ho- forward in your hymnals turning to hymn number 615. Come ye thankful people, come. 615. Please be seated.
0: And now let us come to our great God in prayer. Let us all pray. Our loving, eternal, heavenly Father, we commend your holy presence on this, your day, with joy and anticipation as we come to gather as God's people. Lord, we commend your house to worship and to praise you, the one true and the living God. Indeed, a great God, a God who is good, a God who is worthy of praise, a God who is worthy of honor, and a God who we have the privilege this morning of coming and worshiping. Lord, we do thank you for this, your day. We thank you for the blessing it is to us as believers to come together as God's people. Lord, indeed, the greatest day of the week, that resurrection day when we remember our Christ being raised from the dead. And Lord, this morning as we come, we come not enough ourselves. We come this morning clothed in the righteousness of Christ. For indeed, left to ourselves, we are a wicked and a sinful people, and Lord, this morning we come and we confess our sins to you as God's people. You know us. You know even the very morning we've had, the week that has gone into eternity. You know even since we met here last Sunday, those, those thoughts, words, and deeds that are against what you have commanded us in Scripture. Lord, this morning we ask that you would forgive us for those sins. Even, O oh Lord, that sin of unbelief, we can cry unto you. We can petition your throne. And at times, if we're being honest, we wonder will our prayers be answered? Lord, forgive us. In these days, increase our faith. Even this very morning, when we can recite those things that we, we sought your throne about last Lord's day and how you have heard the prayers of your saints, Lord, remind us of these things, encourage our hearts. Lord, we pray that you would enable us and help us in these days. Even when we come up to this festive season and a time of overindulging in many different things. Lord, help us. Help us to take our minds off the things of this earth and to fix them upon heaven. Even as we've been reminded this week, speaking to others, Lord, Lord, All these things will burn and perish. But you and your word and heaven shall not. And so we ask that our eyes would be fixed upon heaven and home. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us this day. That you would show us our need of you. How at times we can be so dependent on self. So dependent even on others around us, Lord, show us that we are dependent solely upon you. Lord, forgive us for being proud. Forgive us for being stubborn and selfish at times. Forgive us even at times when we have bursts of anger and even at times when words come out of our mouths and they tear others down. Lord, we ask, forgive us. Your word tells us that if we confess our sins that indeed you are faithful and just to forgive us for our sins. And Lord, as your people, remind us of that very truth. Help us to see our sins for what they are. Help us to seek repentance from those sins. And help us to see that indeed you forgive us for those sins. Lord, encourage us in these days. Help us not to wallow in those things, but to see Christ in all of his goodness, the one who bled and died on our behalf, that this morning we are clothed in his righteousness. Lord, we look out and we pray for those this morning that know you not. We ask in your kindness that you would save souls this very day, Lord, there are many young amongst us this morning. And even what we will be reminded of in our sermon later, that we can hear these things week after week by the pastor, day after day by our moms and dads. And Lord, they can become, as it were, mundane, and we do not listen to what is being said. Lord, this morning we pray with earnestness, remove deafness from ears, remove blindness from eyes, And may it be that you would give some of these young people and even older people a new heart. That that heart of stone would be turned to a heart of flesh and that they would fall on their knees and seek Christ. Lord, show mercy this day. And if it be in your will, Lord, that you would save, may it be that we would return and give you all the thanks that we would give you all the glory and all the honor for another soul that has been saved. And if it not be in your will, O Lord, then give us the perseverance to continue to pray on. Even for children who sat in this very room who are now adults, who have no time for your word, no time for Christ. Lord, wherever they be this morning, we ask that you would send your spirit and power That they would see their need of Christ. And that even tonight we would hear that wonderful news of a sinner being saved. Lord, you know, we know that you are a powerful God. And so this day we ask, show us your might. Show us your saving arm. We do pray for this week that will come in. A week of thanksgiving in this wonderful country. We do pray as we come and gather as families on Thursday that you would help us. Even for those who would travel in, we ask for safe travel and mercies. Even for some who will go to be with family, we pray that you would go before them. But, O Lord, we ask as as we meet around and as we even perhaps would recite what we're thankful for, may you give us opportunities this week to speak much of Christ. May it be even as our family is gathered in and some know you not, we pray that you would give us that courage, that you would give us those words to say that we could bring forth the gospel. Lord, we know even as again we will recite in our sermon this morning, bringing the gospel to family and those who know us can be one of the most difficult. But yet we don't do it on our own strength. And so this morning we pray that you would equip us, even be preparing our hearts now of things to say and opportunities and people to speak to. And may it be that as we do it, that we would give you all the glory and all the honor that you are due. Lord, we are thankful you have blessed us so much. Even this morning when we could go to our fridge and we could make our breakfast and make our tea and coffee and the many things that you've given us. But we thank you for that ultimate gift of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who bled and died and has saved even some in this room this morning. What a wonderful thing. Lord, help us to be thankful for that in these days. And we pray for our church this morning. We pray for those who need our prayers. Lord, this morning we do bring again little Charlotte before you. We praise you that thus far you have sustained this little one's life, Lord. You have heard the prayers of God's people. And yet we come again this morning with earnestness, with a desire that you would hear the prayers of God's people again. We pray for a little body. We pray even as they try to remove that tube that she'd be able to breathe on her own. Lord, we ask that that would all go well. We pray that our little lungs would be able to breathe in and out, that our heart would again pump as it is right now. And Lord, we ask that you would be near the doctors and nurses. We pray that you would give them wisdom. Help them, O Lord, to, as it were, get on the same page and to even encourage Mark and Nicole in these days and give good direction. Lord, we pray that no infection would come upon her little body. Lord, protect her. Keep her safe in these days. We do pray for Mark and Nicole. We pray for the family. We, we ask that you would be near to them in these days as you have been. But Lord, we pray that as, as the road continues and as the burden indeed is weary and heavy, Lord, we ask that you would enable and help them. May it be that their time in your word would be sweet. Lord, may it be that as they pray that they would feel your presence with them. Lord, may it be that you would put it in the hearts of all of us, even in this room, to to cry on on their behalf in prayer. Lord, help us and encourage us and enable this dear couple. We pray for their marriage, for their bonds of unity together there, that you would keep them sweet. And may it be, O Lord. That you would watch over their going out and their coming in. Lord, we pray this morning again for Dorothy. We pray as she comes near the end of life's journey that you would enable and equip those around to care and look after. Lord, we pray for especially Rick and Elizabeth in these days that you would enable and help them. Lord, we pray that much healing balm would be poured in in that situation may they know that you walk with them, even though they walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You are with us. You comfort us. You help us. And even as we read this morning from the prophet Isaiah, comfort, comfort my people. We pray this morning that comfort would be theirs. And indeed, for the wider family circle. Lord, we pray for Jeff and Jean. Even thank you for the report of the gospel message being brought forth around that gravesite. Lord, we pray even as the, the speaker's and the preacher's voice would have, as it were, quieted and no longer been able to be heard, we pray that you would continue to still do a dealing in that situation. We pray that you would save souls, that many would see their need of Christ, and, O oh Lord, you would equip them even in these days. We pray for Jean. We ask that you would continue to strengthen her. And even now, O oh Lord, we ask that you would give them some respite and rejuvenate their souls in these days. We pray as they meet family members and loved ones. We ask, O oh Lord, even as they say goodbyes in the next few weeks, we know how hard and how difficult that is. We ask that you would give them that peace and that assurance that surpasses all understanding. Lord, protect them and look after them. And Lord, this morning we come and we ask that you would be with Comrade and Biwi and his wife in that family circle. Lord, even this morning when we hear of his 31-year-old son taking an aneurysm and dying, Lord, we ask that you would be with that family in these days. We pray that you would be with African Christian University as they've lost one of their top professors and teachers there, a a man who you equipped and who you give graces to, and a man whom now you have called into eternity. Lord, we pray for their loss. We ask that you would comfort and help, even with the suddenness and the shock. Even there we see the faith of God's people And how they do not shake their fist to you, but, O Lord, they embrace and know that you are a sovereign God and you do all things well. Yet, O Lord, we pray for their sorrow. We pray for their grief that you would enable and help them. Lord, we ask now that as we come to read your word that we would do it with awe and an adoration even as we read of our blessed Savior hanging upon that cross and giving his life on our behalf. Lord, may these words that we have read many times not be dull in our ears, but may they spark a fire within us that our Christ died on our behalf for sinners like us. And O Lord was laid in that tomb And yet on that third day, rose triumphant. Lord, we pray that these words would come with freshness, would come with newness, would come with vigor. And may as your people, we be built up from reading your word. We ask that you would send forth your spirit and power this morning. And may it be that we as your people would be encouraged through your word. For we ask these things in and through Christ's precious name. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark this morning. The Gospel of Mark in chapter 15. This morning, as I've prayed, we're going to read the account of Christ's death upon the cross, and then his burial in the tomb. We're going to read together from verses 33 through 47. If you're able, please stand and let's read God's word together. Mark chapter 15, beginning at verse 33. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabathani?" which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold. He is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have had already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Amen. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Before we open up God's word this morning, let's take a few moments and let's pray that God indeed would help us to hear and to heed his holy word. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we come into your presence again this morning and we ask that you would enable us and help us. Lord, we ask that you would encourage our hearts even through what is a difficult and a hard passage to understand. We pray, O Lord, that even through it, you would encourage the saints this morning. Lord, we pray for both hear and preacher alike, We ask that as we listen, that we would do so expectantly with indeed hearts that are prepared, ground that is tilled up as that word is scattered. And may it be, O Lord, that it would take good ground this morning. We ask that indeed I would decrease and that you would increase, that the people of God would see Christ in all of his glory, and indeed they would marvel. Lord, we ask that you would meet with us now and encourage us. And may it be that we would give you all the praise and the glory. For we ask it in Christ's precious name. Amen. Please take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, and we're going to read together the first six verses. Again, give careful attention. This is the holy word of a holy God. Mark chapter 6. He, that is Jesus, went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hand? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household and he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them and he marvelled because of their unbelief and he went about and he went about among the villages teaching Amen, this is God's holy word. Have you ever gone home to find things not quite how you left them? It's a different stage in America than in an Irish culture. I live in a land where you are born in a town, you live in a town, and you die in a town. And really you see no change as you come and as you go day to day. But there are times, even in my own experience, that I've gone back to that little town of Macrefeldt after many years, and things are not just quite as how I left them. No one knows who I am. I was a little boy who was the farmer's son for many years, and you return, and who are you? Our text this morning finds Jesus returning to his hometown. He returns here to Nazareth. He's going home again. Our Lord's return to his hometown doesn't quite go how we might expect it to. After all, Jesus, up until this point, is something of a celebrity. He's been going around the countryside preaching and teaching, healing the sick, casting out demons, raising the dead, and controlling the very force of nature in that storm on the lake. He's proven that indeed there is something very special and very different about him. But of course, the last time Jesus was in Nazareth, in the account that we read off in Luke 4, things also didn't quite go all that well for him either. In that service that he preached from Isaiah chapter 61, Christ proclaimed himself to be the Messiah. What did the people do? If it was a Sunday school time, I would throw that question out and wait for an answer. But I'm sure you know that they tried to kill him. They tried to grab him and throw him over a cliff. And the Bible tells us that Christ got away. And he left that place. He left Nazareth, his hometown, and he preached in other places in Galilee and throughout that land. And now, sometime later, he returns to the very place, the very place where he was cruelly rejected, and he wants to bring them again the message of the gospel. What grace. If we were only to think upon that part this morning, We would have enough to encourage our hearts for the rest of this day and indeed the rest of the week. It's an amazing fact indeed that God gives us a Sabbath day to come and to worship Him. And even more an opportunity we get to do it week after week after week as He spares us. God indeed is a good and gracious God. And here we are this morning, seven days after meeting last Lord's Day, and we come again to worship our great God. What grace God bestows upon his people. And Christ here in this passage is doing the very same thing. He's going back from where they tried to kill him. When he arrives As we read in verse 1, he went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. Notice that Mark does not make any reference of any fanfare, of a great crowd, of many people coming to see Christ. Trust me, when you go home to your hometown, people talk. People know exactly when you show up. When I turn up, normally it's my aunts and uncles that start ringing the door and, Oh, you're home. How did you know? Well, we heard it. Christ didn't show up and no one knew that he was there. No, they knew and they stayed away. It seems as if the crowd and the people in those days ignored him. And yet they could only ignore him for so long. Because in verse 2 we read, And on the Sabbath day he began to teach in the synagogue. Or Christ went where everyone was. They ignored him until that Sabbath day. And this morning I want us to consider the Lord's visit to Nazareth. What happened in these six verses are somewhat difficult to understand and yet they're difficult because they come to us as it were like a two by four right between the eyeballs. What happened in these six verses has something to say to those of us who are believers. In fact, it has a lot to say to us who are believers. And it also has a lot to say to you this morning if you know not Christ. You see, this Sabbath day, the people thought they could come on their own terms. But this morning, we need to see Christ for truly who he is and what we're commanded to do. And so to open up this passage, we're going to do it under these three headings. The people were shocked by his preaching. The people stumbled over his person, and the people were shunned by his power, shocked by his preaching, stumbled over his person, shunned by his power. When Jesus began to speak, the people who were there and the people who heard, we read off, were astonished. That word means, as it were, to be seized with panic, to be struck with terror, to be, to be stricken with startling and sudden alarm. When they heard Jesus, they were filled with what we looked at last Sunday morning, fear. They immediately began to speak among themselves. They began to speak about Christ and the various different aspects and the ministry that amazed them, that made them to be fearful and made them to look and be astonished. They were astonished at his words. When Jesus preached, he did so with grace and love. His words were filled with divine authority. He did not speak like the local rabbis would. They quoted other rabbis and other rabbis and had no sense of certainty in their words. Yet, when Christ spoke, he did so with divine authority and people knew what he was talking about. He left no doubt in their minds of his hearers that his words must either be accepted or rejected. He left his hearers no wiggle room. When the Pharisees heard what Jesus had to say, remember what they said in John 7 46? Never a man spoke like this man. When the people of Nazareth on that Sabbath day heard the Lord Jesus Christ, indeed they were astonished. But they were also astonished at his wisdom. When Jesus spoke, his words were filled with truth. The people heard him declare old truths in new ways. He would go into the Old Testament and bring forward and give them examples. He would teach them by parables. He would take his own disciples aside and fill them with wisdom. where the illustrations that he drew upon were common. The truth he preached was anything but common. And again, on that Sabbath day, these people of Nazareth are astonished at his wisdom. But they're also astonished at his works. The Lord's fame indeed had preceded him to Nazareth. They had heard about the miracles that he had performed. They could not believe that a young man from from their own hometown could do the miracles that were attributed to him. The people of Nazareth could not believe what they were hearing and who they were hearing it about. They heard what Jesus had to say and they were left with their mouths hanging wide open. And as it was on that Sabbath day, so it is today. The message of the gospel affects people in the same way. When you read the word of God, it causes us to be amused as God's people. But it can also cause, as we've read there, that astonishment to fear the claims of the Bible. And what are they this morning? These are not Merv's claims. These are not things that are added on. No, these are from the very pages of Scripture. This morning I urge you, take heed. Romans 3, verses 10 through 20. Romans 3 verses 23 and Galatians 3 verse 22 tell us in no uncertain terms that all people are sinners. Psalm 9 verse 17 and Romans 2 through 8 and 9 tell us that all sinners are headed somewhere. And it's not to some fairy tale place in the sky. All sinners, if unrepentant, are headed to a place called hell. Acts 4.12, 1 John 2.23, 1 John 5.12 tells us that there is only one way to be saved from sin and its penalty. One way. Not many ways, but one John 3.18, John 3.36 tells us that all other religions that are not of Christ in the world are false religions and that they lead people to hell. John 14.6 and John 10.9 tells us the only way, the only way for anyone to be saved is for them to place their faith in, In Christ. That is the amazement. Those amazing claims in these days cause people to react in anger. Take this message to the streets this morning and what will happen? Tell people that they are sinners. Tell people that without Christ, And living a life unto themselves will lead to a place called hell. And what will you get? You'll get what Christ got. Anger, annoyance, disappointment. This morning, what do you hear? What do you think when you hear the claims of the gospel? Do you rejoice in its truth? Do you sit there as a child of God rejoicing this morning? Do you rejoice in knowing that Christ has paid it all? All to him I owe. Believer, this morning we walk through dark days Difficult days. Yet remember your Savior. Remember the one who bled and who died on your behalf. Rejoice. Rejoice. Rejoice in the truth of the gospel, knowing that it has saved your soul. This is not your home. Christ tells us that he has went or he is preparing a place for us. Heaven and home. Or this morning, do you hear that gospel message and you reject it? This morning, do you have, as it were, your fingers in your ears? Yes, you may not physically have them because your parents would slap your hand and get them out of there. But are you sitting there with your fingers in your ears? Are you rejecting its message, knowing or thinking that you know a better way? Proverbs sixteen twenty five says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. I do not know how you stand before a holy God this morning, even you little ones. And you've heard this message time and time again. This morning, do not reject it. Do not reject its message thinking that you know better. The Bible tells us that you think you know, but its way is death. And so, secondly, this morning, these people stumbled over his person. As the people of Nazareth heard the message Jesus was preaching, they rejected it. It wasn't a simple shrug of the shoulders. It was gritted teeth. Why? Why? because they thought they knew everything there was to know about him. He had grown up among them. He was one of their own. They had seen where Christ had played, and there he was as a child. They knew his family, and they thought they knew him. They knew that he had never been to any divinity schools. He'd never done any online courses. He'd never walked through a seminary at all. They knew that he had no formal training. They knew everything that they thought there was to know about Jesus. Or so they thought. To them, Jesus was just another boy from Nazareth. He didn't deserve their respect. They saw him, as it were, as a common man. Why can we say that with assurance? Look what they called him. They knew his very occupation. They called him the carpenter. A carpenter in those days did not always build fancy houses and Show off their craftsmanship as even days that we have. No, remember the days that Christ lived in. Mud huts. Simple dwellings. Typically these people would build ox yokes. They would build wooden plows. Sometimes they would build things like tables and chairs and beds and some ornate bowls and cups. Carpenter refer to a common man. Perhaps even the people in those days when they looked around their own homes had things that Christ had made with his own hands and had built for them. And they saw him and his work as this, this common affair. They looked at him and said, look, you are no better than me and we are. Why should we ever listen to you? We're told that they were offended at him. They took offense at him. That word offense is that idea of of stumbling or to be repelled at the point of abandonment. And because these people could not explain Jesus, what did they do? They refused to listen to him. They couldn't see past the carpenter and the common man and so they refused to receive the theology from a a common carpenter. These people did what anyone does. They ridiculed. They mocked. They resorted to, as it were, a sly dig with a jab. Look at what they called him the son of Mary. You may read that and wonder, why is that so important? That was never done in those days. Emil was always referenced as the son of his father. Even if his father was dead and gone, that son would still be called the son of name the father but here these people as it were go to the lowest of the low and they give Christ a deg a verbal deg to call a boy the son of his mother was to imply that his mother had played the harlot something that was not done in those societies to the meal as he was approached And these people were calling the very birth of Christ into question. The people of that day rejected the notion that Jesus was born of any supernatural means through the virgin's womb. If you want to know more and hear more, I commend you last Sunday night's sermon here when we looked at that virgin birth. Pastor Steve opened up that passage in ways that I had never even thought of. What a miracle, what a wonder, and yet all done by God. But this wasn't the only time that they questioned his birth. If you read John 8:41 or John 9:29, in both of those times they call into question his the virgin birth and they mock and they ridicule. And so because they couldn't explain Jesus, they rejected his words. They rejected his wisdom and they rejected his works with contempt and ridicule. Look back at verse 2. Where did this man get these things? These people could not accept what they couldn't explain. But surely that state of mind that was there in Nazareth is still a state of mind as we look in our world today. People reject what they cannot explain. And when it comes to Jesus and religion, there's much that cannot be explained to people's satisfaction. There are many things that even as believers we will not know until glory. The secret things indeed do belong to God. But even this season that we're coming into, People have absolutely no trouble with the manger scene. They can accept that that little baby, that little one lying in a manger, and you know the scene that's set. There'll be donkeys and stars and people looking on. But when you tell people that that little baby lying there in that manger was born of a virgin, and that he is God in the flesh, they cannot handle it. People even seem to have little trouble with Jesus going about place to place preaching his message of peace, his message of love, and his his message of acceptance like some sort of philosopher. But when you tell them that he is the only Savior of the world, and that by rejecting him, it will lead them to hell, they cannot handle it. People have no problem at Easter. They have no problem with Jesus hanging on a cross. But when you tell them that he rose after, that he had died and he rose, and he's now seated at the right hand of the Father, and he lives today to see of those who are perishing in their sins, again, they cannot handle those things. This morning, if your concept of who Jesus is stops with a baby in a manger or a dead man on a cross, or you're missing the whole point. Jesus Christ is the very Son of a living God. You must understand that he died for your sins on the cross and indeed he rose again. We must come to a place where we turn from our sins and we run to that cross and we believe in Christ for our salvation. Or this morning we have no hope. There's much in the Bible and the gospel that I do not understand. I can't figure out why he ever loved me. I can't figure out why he would ever care where I'm going to spend eternity. I cannot understand how or the way he saved me from my sins, but I know that he did so. There are many questions that don't stop us from believing. But what about you this morning? What hinders you from believing on Christ? Here are some absolute truths again from the Word of God. Philippians 2, 5-8 tells us that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Isaiah 7, 14 and Luke 1 tells us that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 tells us that Christ lived A sinless life. Again, 2 Corinthians 5, 21 tells us that Christ died for our sins on a cross on a hill called Calvary. Matthew 28 tells us that Jesus Christ rose from the dead three days later. Hebrews 1 tells us that Christ ascended back into heaven and he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us that Jesus Christ indeed is coming back to this world to receive his people unto himself. Revelation 19 tells us that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And John 14 verse 6 tells us that he is the only way. He is the life And he is the truth. And apart from him, there is no hope. There is no salvation. And there is no heaven. This morning, I ask you, do you believe those things? Do you believe that apart from Christ, we are a lost people? This morning. Don't allow anything to hinder you from believing these things. Don't allow that which you do not understand to cause you to stumble. This morning I urge you, run. Run. Run to him. Run to the only hope and the only salvation. And then thirdly this morning, the people were shunned by his power. The people rejected Jesus and they rejected his message. His response to their unbelief, you can find it there in verse 4. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his, in his hometown and among his relatives and in his household. The people of Nazareth, like people everywhere, took for granted what they had and wanted what they didn't have. They looked to Jesus and saw one of their own. And they treated him as a common man. As I read the commentators, it said that preachers who grow up in a church experience this problem all the time. The people in church know you. They've watched you grow up. They have seen you succeed and they have watched you fail. And then the commentator goes on to say, but preach on. It's so, so true. Tonight we have the privilege of Pastor Briggs being amongst us. Today, 20 years ago, he preached his last sermon in Macrofelt. where I was and I remember sitting in the front row angry, disappointed, frustrated, couldn't understand why he had to go or why he was leaving but yet he left and then People started to look around for another pastor and teacher and as I grew up in the church I had opportunity and it's so so true I was always called little Mervyn he may even say it tonight but it's true at times growing up in a church can be the hardest thing people know us and yet they should know us we can take that as a negative but actually it's a positive as a church and God's people, we should know one another. We should know when we succeed. We should know when we fail. And we should know one another enough to encourage, but also a time to sharpen one another. Verse 5 tells us that because of their unbelief, Jesus was unable to perform many miracles there. Only a few sick people were healed. And before we go any further, listen well. Their unbelief did not hinder Jesus' power. Jesus was and is absolutely sovereign in all things. He could have done anything there that he wanted to do. He possessed the power. But he refused to. Because of the blatant unbelief of the people. Jesus' hands were not tied. There were a few people who came to him in faith and those people received help. How do we know that? Because we've studied the first five chapters of Mark. Those who came to faith and fell at his feet. Jesus was healing and looking after. There is a word here for the health and the wealth crowd. There is a word here for those who promote the cult of prosperity. People who have embraced the prosperity cult doctrine believe that, only, that God only responds to our faith. In other words, if you have enough faith, you will be healed. If you have enough faith, you will have plenty of money. If you have enough faith, you will have endless health, wealth, and blessing. Heretics. This way of thinking holds our great and our glorious God captive to the will of man. God is not bound by us. We serve a sovereign God. A God who does what he pleases, when he pleases, to whom he pleases. Our faith or the lack thereof does not pose a problem for him. Young people, being a Christian is not easy. I've said it before and I'll say it again. It's difficult. Not all of us this morning walked in here skipping, and I hope no one did cartwheels, but you know what I'm saying. The Christian way is hard and difficult. And as we go further along our Christian walk, it's as if that hill gets steeper and steeper. You see, the world would tell us, well, if you want more, you have to have more faith. No. God is not held captive to the will of man. I follow a few Instagram people who show these health and wealth people at their, their lowest, as I'll politely call it. And they were urging, begging, in fact, even commanding people to not send in 10, 20, 30 dollars, one man even said, "Send in your life savings, and God will give you more." And his words were, "Where is your faith? Brothers and sisters, our faith is not in our money. Our faith is not in our cars or what we possess. I was reminded just yesterday. By a faithful brother, that these things will all burn. They will all burn. Young people, you may be making a list right now and being very expectant of next month of what you may get. I'm the big bad ogre at the front to tell you it's all going to burn. It's all going to burn. Do not put your faith in anything else except for God. You see, Jesus, in this case, refused to cast his pearls before the swine. They refused the message. They, they were astonished. They, they said, who is this guy? They, they called him a carpenter. They, they threw the dig off. Well, you're nothing but the son of Mary and probably laughed and mocked in his face. They took offense at him. Jesus' miracles were not magic tricks. They weren't designed to to prove how powerful he was, but they were signs of the kingdom. They were to show his redemptive power and, and how it operates. His miracles were healing and restoring and delivering people in ways that revealed who he was by finding faith. Hebrews 11:6 6 reminds us now without faith it is impossible to please God for the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. God's best blessings are not the works of healings. They're not the works of multiplying loaves on a fishes. It's not of meeting your needs. The greatest work of God is His saving, sealing, and securing of lost souls. If you are saved and believing in Christ this morning, you have received God's greatest work. Praise the Lord. You are saved. You are sealed and you are secured this morning. Not in your wealth, not in your possessions. No, you are saved and sealed and secured in the love of God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If that doesn't draw us to our knees this week in Thanksgiving, I'm really not sure what will. You see, when Jesus saw the very depth of their rejection when he saw how much they took offense at him, look what he says in verse 6. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went about among the villages teaching. Twice in all of Scripture it says that Jesus marveled. And both times it's over faith. In Luke 7, he marveled at the great faith of that centurion. But here he marvels at the lack of faith among his very own people. Jesus was amazed that these people had heard the truth, seen the truth. And now, as it were, they were turning a deaf ear and a blind eye to that truth. And as a result, he left left Nazareth. And There is no other accounts of Christ ever returning to that land. The great Dr. Ryle says this, and I quote, we believers can never be too much on our guard against unbelief. It is the oldest sin in the world it began in the Garden of Eden when Eve listened to the devil's promise instead of believing God's word. You shall die. It is the most ruinous of all sins and its consequences. It brought death into the world. It kept Israel for 40 years out of Canaan. It is the sin that specially fills hell. He that believeth not shall be damned. He goes on to say, It is the most foolish and inconsistent of all sins. It makes a man refuse the plainest evidence, shuts his eyes against the clearest testimony, and yet believes lies. Worst of all, he goes on to say, it is the commonest sin in the world. Thousands are guilty of it on every side. In profession, they are Christians. They know nothing of pain and volatile, but in practice, they are really unbelievers. They do not implicitly believe the Bible and receive Christ as their Savior. This morning, is that You? Are you unbelieving of these things? It brought death to the world. Did God really say? It kept Israel for 40 years out of Cana because of their unbelief of how good God is. The Bible tells us, he that believeth not shall be damned. But believer... There's a warning for us too this morning, is there not? If we come to the house of the Lord expectantly prepared, we will be amazed at what God can do. However, if we come with that attitude of, I've seen it all and heard it all before, what can we expect? Perhaps we sit there, And as I wrote that, I was reminded that I too sit in those seats. I am a member just like you are. the preacher preaches something. And it says, some have said it hits us like a two by four between the eyeballs. And we can either accept it or we can push against it. Who likes to be told that they are feeling in an area? No one does. And yet each and every day we feel. We come to the church and the house of God and we expect the preacher, as it were, to preach it down and work it up. The fact is that a great worship service demands the participation of both the preacher and the congregation. A Puritan of old said it this way There can be no preaching in the wrong atmosphere. The congregation is responsible for at least half of every sermon. In an atmosphere of expectancy, the least effort will catch fire. In an atmosphere of coldness or indifference, the most spirit filled of sermons will fall flat. How is our heart this morning to these things? As I wrote those things I had to confess there are times when I walk through those doors and I'm not expectant I don't come with a heart that as it were has been tilled up and ready not perfect and if you think I am come and talk to me after all of us struggle with these things We must come, brethren, both preacher and hearer alike with a responsibility and an expectancy. We've come this morning to worship our great God, but how did we come? Did we come flying up the road last minute? Did we come through the doors, perhaps husband and wife bickering in the car before we got here? Perhaps our children annoyed us so much that perhaps we lashed out at them. Perhaps our brother and sister annoying us and we got riled. Maybe perhaps we came in here and we had sweet communion this morning. And we came in here with hearts indeed that were prepared and expectant. We need in these days, as it were, to be sitting on the very edges of our seats. Why? Because this is the Word of God. This is God's Word for God's people. A certain preacher was away preaching in Scotland. And a great Scottish preacher, Alexander White, said to him, Where were you preaching last Sunday evening? The brother replied, I was over at a certain church. And White asked, how was it? The preacher said, cold. I found it very, very cold. White replied, cold. I'd say that place is cold. I preached there two years ago and still haven't got the chill out of my bones. I pray that such a statement will never be made about this place. I pray that we will embrace the Savior. I pray that we will be a Bible-believing congregation, a church that adheres to the Word of God above anything else. Our door will soon be knocked, and in fact, it has been knocked for the way that we preach and teach the Word of God. The world despises us. The world, in the last few weeks, has pushed against us, has set all types of malice against what we preach. I wear this pen. And some joke, do I have a pen for every day of the week? No, I have two. I have one that I wear in Remembrance Sunday, and this one. Given to me by a dear brother, he urged me to do what it says. Preach Christ crucified, and nothing else. As long as I have breath in my body, as long as you don't kick me through those doors, we need to preach and live a life that is pleasing to God. We need to be careful not to push God away and think that we only do things by our own strength. Sometimes as Reformed Baptists, we've become a lot like the people of Nazareth. We are are so familiar with these things that the message of the Bible, even the very things that we read this morning of the crucifixion of Christ and his burial and even next week his resurrection, we are no longer moved by them. We're reminded of what Jesus did for us and we sit in those seats week after week and we say, perhaps not audible, but inside, so what? We talk about the cross and no one cares anymore. Shame on us. When we read the account in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John of our Lord's death, does it move us? The one who bled and died for you Have we allowed our hearts to grow cold and callous toward the things of God? And I urge you this morning, I urge you what that old root writer said in the last, and that what I read earlier. In an atmosphere of expectancy, the least effort will catch fire. Brothers and sisters, in these days, We need to be on fire for our God. Why? Because he is our God. He is the one who upholds us by his righteous right hand. This morning, if you're here and you know nothing of Christ, I urge you to come to him today. Today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. We may not see tomorrow. I might not even wake up in the morning, I don't know, but God does. And so this morning I urge you, all of us, do not be like the people of Nazareth in that day. Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? The answer, he is the Lord Jesus Christ. And He is worthy of all of our honor and all of our praise. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank You for Your Word this morning. Lord, we pray for the reminders indeed that we at times can be dull to these things we at times as it were can go through the motions and as it were tick that box lord we pray that in these days we would be on fire for you lord ignite our hearts again even when we when we struggle and when we wonder why lord remind us of who you are and what you have done for us your people For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. Lord, remind us of Christ in these days. Remind us of the work of Calvary. Remind us of the work of the resurrection and Him now seated at the right hand making intercession. Lord, help us to see Christ. We pray this morning that 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 deafness and blindness would fall off many, that they too could see him, and that they would have saving faith. Lord, encourage our hearts by these things. Revive our hearts, even this afternoon may it be, that we would give you much praise as we would go home and talk much of these things. And Lord, bring us back even tonight to hear more from your word. Go before us and keep us safe, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. As we conclude our morning worship, let us turn to hymn number 220. Hymn 220, Blessed Jesus, at thy word we are gathered all to hear thee. Let us stand and sing to God's praise, hymn 220. people of God receive the Lord's blessing from his holy word he who testifies to these things says surely I am coming soon amen come Lord Jesus the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all amen go in the Lord's mercy and grace